Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and today is Everyone Wednesday, and I'm really excited about Everyone Wednesday because we have not one but two resources that we'll be sharing with you today. Uh, Camille Coates is gonna, Cates is going to join me to talk about uh, a book that was uh, actually part of the Ask the Christian Counselor series. It's called Moving Forward After Abortion, and then Pastor Miles Rutherford has a great book called Raise Your Voice, an Urgent Call to Speak Out in a Collapsing Culture. We have multiple copies of each of these books to give away, and we'll be doing so today. As a matter of fact, we've got two copies of Camille's book, and we've got three copies of Pastor Miles's book. 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, why is today's programming so important? First of all, it's important for us as Christians to speak out about our values. That's a given. Secondly, and this may be as in, more important than the other, is the idea that there are those in the 2024 presidential election who are going to try to lie to people in the culture about what's really at risk here. Um, you know, they'll, they'll tell you democracy is at risk because people who want biblical values are on the ticket and they're setting up the, uh, you know, the, the different election uh, propositions and things of that nature. And, and, and it's interesting how in 2022, we saw here in the People's Republic of California, that strategy actually worked. It's amazing to see, I mean, California codified abortion literally up until labor and delivery into the California Constitution because Democrats were able to convince other Democrats that Republicans, you know, Donald Trump stacked the Supreme Court. They want to take away your liberty and democracy is at risk. That's why you have to vote yes on Proposition 1 as it was in the last election, even to the point where the propositions were numbered in the 30s in that current cycle, but Gavin Newsom and the legislature decided that they would make it job one to call it Proposition One. Well, here's what's happening now, and this is it's kind of interesting to see. There's, there's a little bit of political maneuvering going on here. Democrats really don't want Joe Biden to run again. They kind of figure that they could run him and it would be okay as long as Donald Trump's on the ropes or not in the race. But no matter what they try to do to keep Donald Trump from getting on the ballot, he keeps growing in popularity. And this is a report from a couple days ago in the New York Times. They do a David Leonhardt runs a column that I enjoy reading, actually, because it's kind of a, a deeper dive. It's called The Morning. It's a deeper dive uh, at, at, at the issues that are facing the nation. Nate Cohn, who's a chief political analyst for The New York Times, youngish looking dude based by his picture, um, is talking about, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that the Democrats are really facing uh, the cold, hard reality. And we knew this is coming that Joe Biden is not electable, that he's 82 years old, that his health is not in great shape, that he hasn't made wonderful decisions, that the country really did go down the toilet in many respects. I mean, your, your life might not have gotten exponentially worse, but statistically, uh, prices are higher than they were. You know, fuel costs are astronomical. I mean, the people in Texas are loving gas prices right now, while we here in California are paying twice as much, sometimes more than twice as much. And the only difference, brothers and sisters, I mean, it's, it's not the refinery cost. It's not the availability of product. The only difference is the taxes that you pay, uh, that we pay here in California versus what they pay in states like Texas or Tennessee. And also, the value of the real estate and how much the, the, the guy who's selling you gas is not making money on gas. You do realize that. The guy who's selling you gas is making money on lottery tickets and cigarettes and uh, Funyuns and... Perrier and whatever else they're selling in the convenience store. 
That's where they're making their money. They're not making the money on gas. They're selling their gas at cost. So if their prices are that high, well, then, you know, things are really bad. So here's the, the, the now what we're getting is we're getting a critical analysis of the Biden presidency. David Axelrod was in uh, Fox News earlier this week saying, I really think you ought to step down. And this is the guy who was the mastermind behind getting Barack Obama elected. In all honesty, the world has changed so much since 2008. If Barack Obama were running for the first time in 2024 and David Axelrod ran that same campaign, he wouldn't win. He wouldn't come close. But here's what Nate Cohn says at the New York Times. He says, here is why we've got to change ship right now. He says, when Joe Biden ran for president four years ago, he ran as the electability candidate. He had a broad appeal. for He was a moderate Democrat from Scranton, Pennsylvania. He could easily defeat Donald Trump, and he did. Well, we did because of a few other things that we've talked about ad nauseum here. But now there's a new uh, New York Times Siena College poll, uh, several of them actually, that looked at six swing states and found out something very alarming for Democrats who figure they can have it all. And that is, in five of the six states, Donald Trump still leads Joe Biden and leads him handily. Now, remember that the, um, uh, the, 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 the plus or minus on a poll, anything over 3% makes it a little suspicious. And the, uh, you know, the, the degree of the margin of error on this one falls into that category. But listen to these numbers. In Nevada, the, uh, um, the, the, the polling right now shows Trump at 52% and Biden at 41%. In Arizona, hotly contested state, Carrie Lake's out there running for governor. Now she's running for senator. And she was talking about election fraud. It's Trump 49, Biden 44. Remember Pennsylvania? We talked about this the other day. Pennsylvania was one of those states where the, was it the state um, attorney general unilaterally argued that they no longer needed to have signature verification on mail-in voting. It's illegal. She couldn't do it, uh, couldn't do it now. And somehow the state Supreme Court upheld the ruling that said she could do it. But now it's since been thrown out. That was one of those cases that John Eastman fought for for Donald Trump. And people said, oh, they're trying to upset democracy by doing that. Well, guess what? They were right. Case in Pennsylvania, case in Georgia, case in Arizona. That all, all of these were charges that the Trump administration made about election integrity being tampered with. And they were all right. But they couldn't prove them all in six weeks, and so this is why we are where we are. Right now, according to a New York Times-Siena College poll, if the election were held today, Donald Trump would beat Joe Biden in Pennsylvania, 48 to 44. Donald Trump would also beat Joe Biden in Georgia, 49 to 43. Donald Trump would also beat Joe Biden in Michigan, 48 to 43. The only place where Joe Biden has an example, or an advantage is in Wisconsin, and it's virtually a dead heat. Biden, 47%. Trump, 45%. Voters are concerned with the way Joe Biden has been handling the economy and about his age. 70% of the registered voters in the battleground states surveyed by the New York Times agree with the statement that Joe Biden is just too old to be an effective president. Now, four years ago, only 30% of voters said that they thought he was that way. And especially when it comes to younger adults who might vote Democrat. 
Black and Hispanic voters and the 18 to 29 year old demographic, Donald Trump and Joe Biden are in a statistical dead heat. Now, in the African-American community, typically 90 percent of African-American voters will vote Democrat, which is a whole separate conversation as to why that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But here's the deal. Biden has a 71 to 22 lead over Donald Trump. Did you catch that? The number of African-Americans who have switched their vote from Democrat to Republican has gone up dramatically. Now, 20% of African-Americans are registered Republicans. 20%. It used to, I think when we started the bottom line show, it was 4%. It might be 5%. What happened during that time? Is it possible that people in the Hispanic and African-American communities actually went ahead and started looking at what the platform said instead of just voting institutionally? But the big issue, though, when it comes to um, the, the Democrats in election, I mean, there's still a year to go here. But the, the bigger issue, of course, is going to be with the, the sanctity of human life and the number of Democrats who falsely believe the baseless claim that just because Donald Trump made three of the nine appointments to the current Supreme Court uh, justices, that somehow democracy is at risk. That is a baseless claim. For people who said, Donald Trump made baseless claims about the 2020 election. Well, at least three of those claims have been proven true. Took three years through a major court battle, but has been proven true. Now, there will be others. There were 82 different challenges they had. But a lot of those were thrown out in procedural issues. But one of the biggest cudgels that the Democrats are using to lie to their constituents is regarding abortion. That somehow abortion care is, is at risk and women won't be, they'll be criminalized and women will be thrown in jail for having a miscarriage. That is a lie. But what about us in the body of Christ? And why is it that so many people have this negative impression of people who do support the sanctity of human life? Camille Cates is a woman who um, has written a book to help women move forward after abortion. She's a biblical counselor. She's a public speaker. She has written and spoken extensively on the topics of pregnancy care and post-abortion trauma. And she has an amazing testimony to share about how God has used her life of sexual promiscuity and spiritual frustration and misinformation to help women after they have the abortion. So the book is called Moving Forward After Abortion, Finding Comfort in God. There's a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com and we have not one but two copies of the book to give away. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Camille Cates joins me next as the bottom line continues. Oftentimes in the Sanctity of Life community, the pro-life groups, if you will, uh, we hear a lot of people who will talk about how important it is to, you know, preserve the life of the child and maybe not have an abortion. But there are many women who have gone through uh, the abortion procedure and find themselves now in the church saying, what do I say? What do I do? I'm not quite sure how to talk about this. And today here on The Bottom Line, we want to get into that part of the sanctity of life issue with biblical counselor Camille Cates. She's written a book called Moving Forward After Abortion, Finding Comfort in God. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And I know there's someone who's listening to us right now who says either that's my story or I know somebody who would benefit from this conversation. Camille Cates, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Roger, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have this conversation because of that fact. I get, I hear this a lot. I hear it a lot from women who say, I was in the church. 
I'm, I had an abortion or I wasn't part of the church. I became a Christian after I had an abortion. And when we were having one of those conversations about kind of what we've been through, you mentioned the A word and all of a sudden people kind of look at you funny, like, I'm not quite sure what to do with that. Has that been, I mean, you're a biblical counselor, work a lot out of your church. Talk about when this whole ministry uh, stream for you actually came to forefront. Well, Roger, it started really when I found myself in need of abortion, after abortion care ministry myself. So I had had an abortion um, really in the midst of crisis and trauma. Uh, I, I like to tell people, you know, I really have been through two crisis pregnancies. And the first of those, um, I ended up choosing life and parenting uh, my daughter, my parents, who were a Christians, I was a Christian at the time, and uh, they supported me. And so I had a, I had a daughter um, on my own. I was single parenting, and uh, the baby's father was no longer part of that relationship. But, um, you know, I still found myself longing for that family. And, um, you know, I think that's God's design really was in my heart to have that completed picture, but I didn't really have any good discipleship on what good biblical relationships were like. And mm -hmm. so I ended up getting in another relationship, uh, became pregnant again very quickly, and we had tossed around the idea of having an abortion, which I know is um, just so uh, contrary to our Christian faith and what we believe from God's Word, but when you find yourself in, in the situation that was unexpected, that can kind of be the result. And, you know, we didn't really ever get the chance to make that decision together because, unfortunately, um, that young man ended up um, sexually assaulting and murdering my daughter. Uh, oh, from no. This relationship. Yes. Oh, my yes. gosh. So, yeah. So, you know, and it, it kind of breaks through some of the stereotypes. I mean, uh, people still think, you know, women having abortions or these young teenagers or young women who, um, you know, they've been sexually promiscuous and they just go and have these abortions um, kind of without a, a care or a thought. But, you know, in my experience with counseling, a lot of situations have trauma that's surrounding them or mm -hmm. abuse or a, a lot of different situations. So I ended up, um, having an abortion just four days after we buried my daughter oh, and then my life just spiraled, mm -hmm. you know, for about mm -hmm. two or three years and depression and um, just guilt and the grief and not knowing um, what to do with that. So God um, in his grace and mercy finally brought me back around. I ended up going through a Bible study with some uh, women who were also post-abortive kind of mentoring me. And mm -hmm. that was just radically life uh, transforming to the glory of God. And so Amen. that really created this longing, this desire, if, you know, the God of all comfort can comfort me in, in a grief that was done by my own hands um, through abortion, but also other griefs surrounding that. I want to share the comfort that he's given me um, with others who need to be comforted. So that was really the catapult into uh, post-abortion ministry and then double counseling in general, mostly on uh, issues of trauma. And Camille Cates is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. And Camille, I want to ask, how are you doing? 
I mean, how, how I mean, I don't know it's not fun because nobody has the, the ministry that we want, right? I mean, people who say, right. oh, I, I knew what I did. This is what I do. Um, and you've had a story and that is just so incredible and it's so powerful. And now it's what is it they say? There's no message without a mess. There's no testimony without a test. Here you are right. sharing that story. And it's uh, and I appreciate you doing so because you could have very easily after your daughter's death just said, oh, to heck with it. I'm having an abortion. I'm, I'm going to be a, I'll be in a monastery somewhere. Uh, stay away from me. I don't that life is too tough. And who is God? And yet it sounds like this whole situation caused you to lean into your faith more. Is that accurate? It, it, it did. I would say, you know, I really struggled um, at first. I, I never... I never really questioned who who God was. Um, I just began to drift mm-hmm. away in my faith and, you know, just kind of swallowed up in the grief and um, the guilt and all of it. And so, um, you know, he was gracious to bring me back to him. Um, but yeah, there, I mean, like I said, for two or three years, I really spiraled and I did, I kind of was like, I've lost everything. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just said, what, you know, I'm willing to do whatever with whoever, whenever. And I really lived a, a very depraved life, mm. uh, even as a believer and grappled with my faith. But God in his mercy, um, you know, brought me back through um, a renewed picture of the gospel mm-hmm. and how, you know, God is holy. He loves us as sinners and he wants to be with us anyway. That's why he sent his son and that's how I really began to see myself outside of like, yes, I'm a sinner, but God still loves me. Yes. And he sent Christ to prove uh, that he's willing to pay the debt that I owed. So mm, incredible, incredible story. Camille Cates is the author of the book, moving forward after abortion, finding comfort in God. It's part of the ask the Christian counselor series from new growth press. And we've got a link for the book up at the bottom line show.com. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear. And obviously it took longer than seven minutes to get you to this point that, that God has been a restorer of God, a loving God. I mean, that that's his nature. And the fact that you were able to receive that even after years of saying, Hey, I believe in God, but I'm going to live it the way I want to, because I've got all this pain and I've got, uh, you know, things that I have to deal with. What was the first step? Who was the first person? Was there a counselor? Was there a pastor? Who was the one that kind of showed you, hey, not only does God love you, but you can heal from this. I mean, it may not be the kind of healing that we, we see on TV. Oh, I'm cancer free now, or, you know, whatever, after the radiation and chemo. This, these, these wounds take a lot longer to heal. But who was that person who kind of uh, got you back on track? Yeah, I really have to say um, my husband, and we've been married for 28 years now. Oh, yeah, um, that's great. We had grown up in church together and knew each other. Mm-hmm. And so he knew about my um, tragedy with my daughter, but he didn't. I didn't think he knew about the abortion, and I came to find out that he did. And so mm-hmm. he, you know, he loving me in spite of my abortion was that picture of the gospel that I needed to see afresh. And um, he was a, a youth pastor, just graduated from seminary, and we got married. And so really almost got a redo at, at growing up in the church and, and going to youth events and being discipled mm. really for the first time. And then later, um, you know, we, we had a hard time in our marriage with my abortion lingering in the past. It wasn't affecting him as much as it was me, and I needed help. And so... You know, God really brought a ministry uh, that it was created by post-abortive women for post-abortive women. 
Mm-hmm. And that's where I got that mentoring and that really deep walk through the word on all that God has to say about um, abortion and about the ones who have committed the sin of abortion and the redemption that we can find in Christ. And that's what truly was life transformational for me. Now, you talk about committing the sin of abortion, and I, I know some people are hearing that and saying, but but Camille, I mean, you were emotional. You were in a state of distress. I mean, like you were grieving the death of a daughter at the hands of this horrible monster, and you, you made that decision the way you did. Talk about how, what it was like for you to say, you know, okay, I understand that this is a sin, what I've done, but there's forgiveness for that. Because I think some people kind of look at abortion as a sin that really falls into that blaspheming of the Holy Spirit category. You know, it's kind of like, well, God will forgive everything except that. I mean, I I sense that a lot in churches. And I I would imagine you've encountered a lot of women who feel the same way. Yeah, they, you know, they really struggle um, kind of in one, one way or the other, um, you know, they'll, they'll either swing to the extreme of, I've committed the unforgivable sin, God will never forgive me, and it really takes a lot of work. You know, they really don't know God's nature, they don't understand Him according to His words. so it takes a lot of work to go back through His Word and show them who He is, that His nature is forgiving, His nature is gracious and merciful, in spite of what we've done, in spite of what we deserve, that He... Um, had a plan for redemption through his son, Jesus. And then there's the other side, you know, women who really, we don't know what to do with our guilt, Roger. And so Mm. um, they'll, they'll try to justify it or blame shift. You know, I, for a while, I kind of tended to blame shift some things to the young man who I felt like, Hey, you put me in this situation. You kind of left me without um, any choice. And then my parents, honestly, uh, even as believers, they were pressuring me to have an abortion because it was just so much to deal with at the time. And, and looking back in a mature faith now, like God is sovereign and he had me in his care. He had this baby um, who had not been planned by my design, but by God's yes. in his hand. And, and he had a plan for that. And so it's really coming to the place where you, as the one who's committed the sin of abortion, can say, you know, I'm not, I'm going to own this. This was my decision. I made a choice. And there are some women that can't say that. They were really, they've been highly pressured by an abusive partner, or maybe they were forced into an abortion as a a teenager, as a minor. Um, And so there are, there are exceptions to that. But by and large, most of us have some ownership in that choice. And there is so much freedom. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. That's what 1 John 1.9 says. So. Well, that is a powerful verse. I've claimed it many times, and it sounds like uh, for women who are post-abortive, that is a verse that needs to be claimed as Fascinating conversation today with Camille Cates. She is an author. She's a biblical counselor. Her brand new book is called Moving Forward After Abortion, Finding Comfort in God. It's part of the Ask the Christian Counselor series from New Growth Publishing. On the other side of this break, we're going to talk about some of the questions women have that uh, come up in abortion, post-abortion counseling and uh, ways that we can be supportive of people who are in need of this, and especially if there's someone in your church who is post-abortive. Let me back that up. There is someone in your church who is post-abortive. They need to hear this comfort and these, this, these counseling and encouraging words. And we'll talk about them more with Camille Cates in just a moment as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. 
Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Everyone Wednesday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, compelling conversation with author and counselor Camille Cates. The book is called Moving Forward After Abortion, Finding Comfort in God. It's part of the Ask the Christian Counselor series, and it's really a good resource that uh, encourages us, even exhorts us in the body of Christ to do more than just tell a woman don't have an abortion. We have not one but two copies of this book we're giving away today, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. And don't forget, this is a perfect opportunity while you're thinking about this conversation to remember our friends at Preborn, the ministry that provides free ultrasounds for women who are expecting and not quite sure what the next step should be. All three options a woman has are explained to her either, congratulations, you're a parent, congratulations, here's how you release your child for adoption, or in the state you're in, if it's legal to abort the child, they'll tell you all about what that entails as well. Give a donation of $28 right now, and that provides an ultrasound screening for a woman in need, or a $15,000 donation provides a new ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-2229 is the number to call to get you through to preborn. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, the conclusion of my conversation with author Camille Cates. It's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Been hurt in an accident, and you're wondering if you should call Stephanie Cover of Cover Law. You must. That's why insurance exists, to cover accidents. So you should use it. Stephanie worked in the insurance industry for over 20 years, and she knows their system, how to talk to adjusters, how they think, and how to get back from them all that you've lost. That could be wages, time, property, or anything else that the accident has taken from you. Every minute you wait hurts your chance to be made whole again, and Stephanie knows that the opposing insurance company is building a case against you, so time is a factor. Stephanie cares about the truth. She builds your case on a rock-solid foundation of honesty. She will give you a clear understanding of what to expect during the process, and Stephanie will ensure that the truth comes to light. If you or someone you know has been in an accident and you're not sure if you need an attorney, reach out to Stephanie Cover now at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. Camille Cates is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. If you missed the first part of our conversation, you must go back to thebottomlineshow.com or Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Tune, and wherever you get your podcasts and hear this dynamic, powerful conversation. Camille Cates is a biblical counselor. She specializes, obviously, in biblical counseling, but um, is a, a, not only a survivor in terms of being post-abortive, but has a remarkable testimony to tell. Her brand new book is called Moving Forward After Abortion, Finding Comfort in God. There's a link for the book up at the 
thebottomlineshow.com. And during the break, Camille and I were talking about her website, agrittygospellife.com, where you can actually find a, a sample of the book and a bit of her bio as well. Tell us what else we can expect to find at that website, Camille. Oh, my goodness, Roger. There's lots of resources. I have uh, different video uh, speaking engagements that I've done. There's a podcast. There's some articles that were written for the Gospel Coalition. Um, Why I Don't Blame Planned Parenthood is one of them, so that might Mm. pique some of your readers' interest, your listeners' interest. But, um, yeah, so all kinds of resources to help equip the body and help uh, women and men who've experienced abortion. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you mentioning the fact that there are men who experience abortion, too, uh, having worked with uh, uh, Brad Mattis and John Wilkie at the Life Issues Institute for many years and finding out uh, all the research that they've done about how abortion impacts men as well. And I'm going to go to the website. I don't want to get into it here on air because I don't want to spoil it for our listeners, but I want to find out why you don't blame Planned Parenthood. That's very, <laughs> that's very intriguing because that seems to be a pretty uh, easy mark and easy target for people in the pro-life community. Uh, this book, Moving Forward After Abortion, does encourage post-abortive women to find comfort in the Lord and especially in a relationship with Him. And you really break it down. I mean, it's a, it's not a lengthy book. It's a very uh, comprehensive book in that standpoint. But you ask a lot of questions like, who can I turn to after my abortion? I think one of the big issues is, is God going to punish me for my abortion? And why does it that women feel that is that judgment is coming a lot sooner for them than maybe other sins that we commit that we know that Jesus has already died to pay the penalty for. Yeah, you know, Roger, it when you talk about taking the life of an image bearer of God, and then that image bearer is your own child, that just runs so deeply in the soul. And we know, um, our, our hearts uh, know that that is an offense against God. And so um, apart from Christ, you know, we have no context for why wouldn't God punish me? Um, and even Christians, we, you know, we talked about that a little bit, still struggle uh, to believe that, that God's forgiven them. But um, it, you know, it's really, uh, it's hard because they, it's hard because they may not understand that, you know, a lot of times women are afraid that God's going to punish them by not allowing them to have children mm. again or mm-hmm. another child. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, we've heard stories of women who aborted the only baby that they ever conceived. And while that there's a potential for that to happen because abortion is very um, hard on the body, yeah. Uh, you know, I think in our minds we skew that to thinking God's going to punish me by not letting me have any more children because I was not faithful, you know, with this one. And that's just opposite to God's nature. Children are a gift and are a, a reward for, from Him, is what Scripture says. And Amen. He wants us to flourish. He wants us to be fruitful and multiply. And in his sovereign design, he gives us the children that he wants us to raise in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And it's just not in his nature to be a punishing God uh, because of what Christ accomplished on the cross for us. So all of that full punishment fell on his son for those who put their trust in him. So we um, it's something that we often wrestle with. Uh, women or men, even who are post-abortive, is God going to punish me? And especially that punishment looking like not being ever able to have children again. 
Mm-hmm. Boy, that is great counsel from Camille Cates today here on The Bottom Line. Her book is called Moving Forward After Abortion, Finding Comfort in God from a trained biblical counselor who also ha- is post-abortive uh, and, and understands what it's like for women and men who are going through this. This book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, the question a lot of women ask is, uh, you know, uh, I'm struggling with forgiveness. I don't know how to put this behind me, so to speak, because it's part of who I am. But I wonder... It, Camille, you write about this in the book about women who have thoughts about the baby. I mean, the child who was was aborted. Um, talk about what you counsel women to do. I mean, obviously you write about it in the book, but what, when a woman comes to you, she, you guys are having a biblical counseling session, and she mentions, oh, by the way, I'm post-abortive, and I think about my baby all the time. And it's been 10 years, 20 years, however many years it's been. Uh, what What's good advice for a woman who still has those thoughts and says, I don't want to think them anymore? Yeah, uh, there's there's so many complexities, and every woman's different. I think for a lot of women who, um, you know, they'll they'll struggle. They may have nightmares about their baby. Um, they may struggle with those thoughts. Part of it comes from not properly grieving, uh, grieving the loss of that baby, the loss of life. Mm-hmm. And a lot of post-abortive women feel like they don't even have a right to grieve. Uh, over the death of their baby because they're the mm. one who committed that act. And mm-hmm. that's just not true. God wants us to grieve over what he grieves over, and he grieves over that loss. And so kind of habit walking through biblical grieving uh, through God's Word is very, very helpful. Um, there's other women who haven't really thought about their baby. They, they've really tried to kind of numb out and suppress those thoughts and push that to the back of their mind. So I, I worked with one woman and she, uh, and I, as we were going through scripture, she said, Camille, she said this week, I had never put a personal pronoun to my baby that I aborted. I always said the baby hmm. that I aborted the abortion. And she said, that was my baby. So for different women, you know, as they come to the realization of truth, Mm-hmm. Um, by God's grace and His mercy, it's just profound what He reveals in their hearts and begins to do that deep sanctifying work. So, mm. um, yeah, so there. I wish I could give just one uh, answer, but really it's just, you know, their unique experiences and then meeting that with the sum total of God's Word mm. and who He is to meet them right where they're at. Boy, that is great uh, insight in terms of the multifaceted nature of uh, wrestling with being post-abortive in the modern culture. Camille Cates is my guest, biblical counselor and author of the book, Moving Forward After Abortion, Finding Comfort in God, up at thebottomlineshow.com. I would imagine there are a lot of women who are saying, you know, I just want to move on. I I remember counseling with a couple who had lost a child. He had been born with with some... uh, medical challenges and he wasn't expected to live long and he wound up living almost 10 years which was just really remarkable and to this day um, they still are grieving they're still kind of carrying on like he's still part of the family and and they have a lot of tension in the family because extended families like come on you know he's with the lord and you know what do you do with that Um, i would imagine that for the woman who says you know i'm i'm wrestling with this and i want to leave my abortion in the past but i don't want to forget the baby, you know, that there, there's some moving, uh, you get to the que- the point where you just say, why can't I just move on with this in a healthy way? What does moving on look like, Camille Cates, after an abortion? Yeah, I mean, it really looks like um, 
having the the Lord set before you as your your delight and your joy, um, but also like we never move on completely. Um, we need to move forward in life. We're called to live um, for Christ, but you know I always kind of say it's like having your abortion in the rearview mirror once God has really uh, done a work in you, and we need to have that. In view, I, I don't want to forget all that God has saved me from and all that God has done um, in my heart. But I, I think a couple of things, uh, in addition to walking with the Lord through His Word, um, it's good to, if the Lord brings to mind a way that you want to memorialize your baby, that personhood that I was talking about, the woman who'd never really considered it was her baby. I think it's mm-hmm. good to if you would like to acknowledge that personhood somehow, that can bring some closure. Uh, but the grief never goes away. It ebbs and it flows. But the Bible says we're supposed to lament. We can lament that grief to the Lord, but then we, we need to turn that lament back towards Him and praise and think about all that He's done. And that's going to be probably for most of us that have had a great life loss like that, that's going to be until eternity, until he brings us home. So mm. I just think it's it, we got to be careful not to get stuck there. And if you're if you're continually replaying um, that loss over and over and over in your mind, it becomes debilitating. Mm-hmm. There's some work that needs to be done in the heart, really renewing the mind, asking about you know what are, maybe there's some idolatry, some things that we're holding on to as precious more than God, um, and that we're not exalting Him uh, the way that He deserves so that we can move forward with Him uh, in joy and, and living our lives that He's called us to. So there's there's a lot to it, but that's a good start. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it, and I, I, I want to make sure I'm putting this in the right context, Camille Cates. Um, it almost sounds like you're saying this is the type of thing where if you're, you have a family member who's buried somewhere, you know, graveside or mausoleum, whatever it is, and you go every now and again and you know, put some roses on there and remember and have a, a memory time, that it's okay to do that. But if you're finding you're there every day or, you know, all the time or kind of making that a part of your regular routine, then maybe that's when you need to see, you know, seek extra counseling and extra help to kind of get unstuck from that. Is that is that an accurate uh, analogy? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think a good measure of that is to kind of examine your sorrow. The Bible talks about godly sorrow mm-hmm. that leads to um, salvation and repentance, and then there's a worldly sorrow that leads to death. And so if your life is starting to look kind of dead because you're stuck with your loved one who has passed, um, that, that's when it's worldly sorrow. We, we need to repent of that. It's okay mm. to have godly sorrow, and that's that kind of just memorializing, thinking of it in the moment, turning to the Lord, and then moving forward. Mm-hmm. That's great counsel. Camille Cates has been my guest today here on The Bottom Line Show. A powerful book and a great resource. I think every church should have this in their uh, in their library, and every pastor would benefit from it. But also we know there are people in the laity who would benefit as well from the book called Moving Forward After Abortion, Finding Comfort in God. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Also a link for the website, agrittygospellife.com, where you can get an excerpt from the book and learn more about Camille, find out 
potentially have her come to your church or to your women's retreat. Uh, I'm sure that would be a fantastic uh, opportunity to, uh, to share the gospel in a way that's very practical for a lot of women in your congregation. Camille Cates, thank you so much for writing the book, for spending time with us here today on The Bottom Line Show. Uh, may God continue to richly bless you and your family in your ministry efforts. Thanks for being with us today here on the program. Thank you, Roger. God bless you. Amazing, powerful testimony from Camille Cates today here on The Bottom Line. Uh, The book is called Moving Forward After Abortion, Finding Comfort in God. We have not one but two copies of this book we're giving away today here on this Everyone Wednesday. 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line and in a culture where so many people are looking at abortion and saying, well, abortion is necessary health care for women. Instead of saying, hey, abortion is killing an innocent baby in the womb, there's a huge difference between the two. More and more Christians are speaking up and speaking out for biblical values, but we need more. Pastor and author Miles Rutherford has written a book about this. It's called Raise Your Voice, an Urgent Call to Speak Out uh, to a Collapsing Culture. We've got a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com and three copies of that book to give away. So make your call, your voice heard on the phone call, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Pastor Miles Rutherford coming up next as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com. Hit the Preborn banner right now. Well, it's no question that uh, things are happening in the world right now that are literally calling us as the church to step up, raise our voice, and uh, make our presence known in the culture. The question is, why is it that there are so many people who are looking to the world and saying, okay, well, we want the world to be righteous. Why are are they having so much success? And it seems like we're kind of having to take a back seat. Joining me today here on The Bottom Line Show is a man who has been preaching a pretty passionate message about raising our voices. He's Pastor Miles Rutherford, a revivalist who his aim is to ignite the fire of God in the hearts of people all over the world. He is the founder of Worship with Wonders Church in Marietta, Georgia. He's a, uh, a successful author, songwriter, and recording artist, has been on TBN and, and, of course, The Bottom Line Show as well. His brand new book is called Raise Your Voice, an Urgent Call to Speak Out in a Collapsing Culture. And we have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Pastor Miles Rutherford, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Hey, thank you for having me. It's a great honor to be here. Uh, what a wonderful day to talk about a subject such as this. 
Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you consider that it seems like if you ask, I mean, no one would willingly say this out loud. When people ask me what my spiritual gift is, sometimes I'll say ambivalence because I try to understand both sides of an issue. But uh, quite frankly, if you were to ask most people in the American church today, if you ask them what their spiritual gift would be, they would probably say complacency which is not a spiritual gift, obviously, but that it just, doesn't it just seem like that that's kind of the tone of the church for so many places in the country right now? It sure does. You know, uh, a lot of things I say in the book, one of the things I say is whatever we tolerate, we will eventually condone. And mm. when we are now seeing um, fighting and the warring that's going on, even in the, the Middle East right now, I mean, all things are really pointed towards what the Bible wrote. And there's so many people that say that that Bible is uh, it's ancient, it's just an outdated book, when in actuality it's, it speaks of current events that are happening right now as we speak, mm-hmm. of cultures that are collapsing. Because, I mean, if you look at Israel, um, don't mean to take off on the phone here just so quick, but I'm just so passionate about this. If you look at Israel, they were the first nation to approve same-sex marriage they were uh, dealing with a—you're uh, dealing with a godless society. I have people all around there that I'm friends with. They're saying, man, it's never been this godless in this nation. And, uh, you know, God always does certain things to bring people back to Him. And, uh, I, of course, this book is written for America, um, to the remnant in America. But um, it, it really serves to, to tell us just the things you see in the Old Testament. You see a lot of— things in the Old Testament. When people turn away from God, God deals with that nation. And I think America needs to wake up, but not only wake up, but get up right now. The church Mm. needs to get up, not just wake up. Boy, that's Pastor Miles Rutherford today here on The Bottom Line. The book, Raise Your Voice, An Urgent Call to Speak Out in a Collapsing Culture is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We were talking about the Middle East just a moment ago, Pastor Miles, and uh, a dear friend of mine, longtime ministry associate, we go back about 40 years, literally just got back. I mean, the day before the missiles were fired, he had led a delegation to Israel. They'd gotten to Frankfurt. They're back in the States now. And he posted something on his social media the other day that just kind of sent a chill through my spine. It just gives me chills thinking about it now. Here's Israel, God's chosen people. And he said in the nation, about 90% of Israelis are atheists at this point. You know, I mean, it's bad enough that they aren't receiving Jesus as Messiah. But here we are saying, well, we got to pray for these people and we, we need to step up. But it's more than just prayer. It really does involve us as the church saying we have to get more actively involved in going to all the world and preaching the gospel, especially there. Talk about why it's so important for us to be active. You know, raising our voice is a good start, but that's a good first step. We've got to take more than that. Well, you know, the Bible says in Isaiah 1-9, I had a vision, and I don't normally have that. I'm, I'm 48 years old, been in ministry for over 30 years of my life. I had a vision, open vision, and uh, it was amazing to me. I was in Houston, and it was 2021. And God showed me a, he showed me a countdown clock, uh, mm-hmm. like you would see at Cape Canaveral. You know, you see those mm-hmm. last seconds kicking off before it takes off. And he had me turn to Isaiah 1-9. And he said, I've, I've, ne- I've never really read Isaiah 1-9 like that. It wasn't in my thought process, but I read it, and it said, Unless the Lord of hosts had left a very small remnant, the cities would be turned into Sodom and made them to like Gomorrah. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, they see America, they see the godlessness that's happening, the declination, um, and, and, and as a church, God's speaking to the church, you know, uh, when 
when when you read the scripture, he's talking to the people of God. He says, "I need you to turn people back." And how do we do that? I mean, the same way Isaiah did it. Isaiah fifty-eight said, "Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice." And the proper terminology is as a shofar. In other words, mm-hmm. shofars were mm-hmm. meant for dedication, decreeing, delivering, and defeating. And so the voice of the church, rather the remnant inside the church, the voice of the remnant has to be a voice, not to point and predict to blessings right now, like, hey, you're going to get a house, you're going to get a car. No, the prophetic voice of the remnant right now needs to be pointing people back to God. That's why God is dealing with the nations, and that's why he's allowing a small remnant that is not better than people, but we are bolder than people, and God has got a reserve a remnant of people that are pointing a finger saying, get back to God now. There's a reason. There's a reason. I think something's on the horizon that's bigger than all of us can imagine. Mm. Uh, Pastor Miles Rutherford, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. His brand new book is so encouraging. It's called Raise Your Voice, an urgent call to speak out in a collapsing culture. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You have a chapter in this book that you call The Real God Particle, and it's real as in quotation marks. What do you mean by that specifically, Pastor? Well, in um, CERN, Switzerland, you know, they they threw two uh, smallest parts of matter together. Uh, I think it was an electron. They threw it one way or through there. They have this large tunnel, and uh, they they spun them really fast, accelerated them particles, the smallest particle of matter, and they smashed them together, and then they realized that something was on the inside of them called quarks. And inside of the quarks were nothing but strands of what they called vibration. Hmm. And the real God particle, what is holding matter together, was a vibration. And you know, when we speak, I'm speaking to you right now, Roger, um, it is sound passing my vocal cords, which create vibration that speaks. So it really goes back to the authenticity of what God said in his word. All things are upheld together by the word of the Lord. Hmm. We, everything we see is made from what we do not see, which is the invisible world of which was the one thing that is inside of every person on this earth that we have the part of us that is unseen that God gave us is our breath, which is invisible. We lose it when we die, and we can't do anything on this earth without it. So that's why we've got to raise our voice. Our voice mm. matters. We, our voice changes things, our, what we speak. Uh, and we should be speaking for God right now, not for man, yes. not for culture. Yes. We need mm-hmm. people to make a defined polarization of truth in these last days. I'm so glad you said that, Pastor Miles Rutherford. The book Raise Your Voice is up at thebottomlineshow.com. I'm so glad you said that because one of the frustrations that I see in pastoral ministry is the number of people who are doing the exact opposite of what you just said. Rather than raising a voice for the kingdom of God, it's we're going to raise a voice against what's happening in the culture, knowing that ultimately God, I mean, Jesus won the war, right? I mean, so we have these battles that we're speaking, we're speaking into. And the idea that, I mean, if I know a cursory amount of science enough to know that when we, uh, when we breathe, we exhale or the, the reference is to expire. And when we take oxygen in, we are inspired, but we are, that's the inspiration, the breath tech coming in. And so the fact that those of us still have breath in our lungs, we have this inspiration, we can rally the remnant. We can, you know, t- take advantage of this, uh, the, the real God particle and actually do this. And yet we're living in a culture in a time right now, uh, Pastor Miles Rutherford, where you write about in your new book, Raise Your Voice, that, that there are voices that are going missing. 
And, and talk about that. It's not that the voices aren't here. They just aren't being heard. Talk about that, if you would. Yeah, you know, and my dad was a, he's the guy, when he went to Kmart, you'd hear shoppers here at Kmart. That was my dad. And he oh, had wow. a bolstering voice. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing. Um, How one of his accomplishments he's, he did, he's passed on. And when I lost my dad, two things happened to me. Number one, I missed his voice dearly. And number two, mm-hmm. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear it because it brought back memories. And mm-hmm. where I'm seeing with the church right now is there are voices that are ancient that have carried the truth. It's really about truth. Right now, the enemy is distorting truth and suppressing truth. How does he do that? How he always does it. He uses people. And when people go missing speaking truth, it causes the next generation to deconstruct that truth, and then the next generation to reconstruct what they believe truth is. If you Mm -hmm. look in Romans 1, and you follow Romans 1, 18, all the way to the end— all of the things we see that are declining in immorality in every nation is because godly men, Romans 1, godly men suppress truth. So the immorality that we're seeing is the symptoms of the source. The source is people are not speaking truth. They've gone missing, and we're hearing echoes of people. But I believe that God is raising up John the Baptist, Elijah, mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. like Jeremiah and Isaiah that are blowing the trumpet, and they are coming on. The preachers are coming off the mountain. They're coming out of the caves, and they're saying, no, this is the truth. Let's go. Let's win this Generation Z and millennials and these other generations. Let's bring them back to God. It's the only thing, the only hope for America or any nation is Christ. And where is Christ? Christos, the anointing. It is inside the believer. Christ in me the hope of glory. Love it. Pastor Miles Rutherford today here on The Bottom Line. The book, Raise Your Voice, an urgent call to speak out in a collapsing culture is up at thebottomlineshow.com. More to come in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Pastor Miles Rutherford, the book is called Raise Your Voice, an urgent call to speak out in a collapsing culture. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Pastor Miles, you write about in this new book, you write about something that you, well, a group of guys you call the Gap Men. Uh, talk about what you mean by that, uh, those who are, are called for this special time and this special season. Well, thank you for giving me this time to talk about that. I think it's one of the most important things. Gap Men is a 30-foot area in the Bible that the Bible, you hear of the word, it says, uh, and stand in the gap. Uh, it talks about intercession. The thing about standing in the gap for somebody is that it's between the porch and the altar. The porch is where culture is. It's where people are. The altar is where God is. And when you stand in the gap, you're at a 30-foot distance. In other words, you cannot reach the people with your physical hand, and you cannot touch the altar with your physical hand. You have to raise your voice. You have to cry aloud. And we see this as Second Peter two four. You know, you hear when when um, Noah, the Bible calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. He was standing on that boat. He was ready. He and the people were out there. And you know, a lot of people are saying, "I just don't want to offend people." When you're standing in the gap, you don't have time to worry about if you're offending somebody or not. Amen. We need to be asking, "What are we? Are we offending God?" Because Mm. when you talk about a preacher, preachers right now need to speak with an eternal conviction, not with a uh, a stroking of culture. We need to say, hey, there is a 
there is a danger of you missing eternity with God. And that is what Noah, he was crying out. It was so much that the Bible said God had to shut that door. And I really believe the reason why God had to shut that door is because Noah had such a powerful intercession. Oh, God, please, please bring people on the boat. Please come. And that's what preachers are right now. We're not preaching hard truths because we're trying to throw it in somebody's face. We're like, dear God, please, please come to God. Something's coming, and you need to be ready for the Lord. That's where I say gap men are. Their heart is for souls, not just to preach truth out of anger, but truth out of love. We need the truth with love. That's what this book is about. This book Mm. is written to the remnant. It's not a church growth book. It's not a win friends and influence people book. It's written (laughs) to people that are offended at what God is offended about. And they're like, how do I speak up? This book is not written for the, the whole nation. It's written for a small, minute group of people called the remnant that need to raise their voice right now. Boy, I'll tell you, the book Raise Your Voice by Pastor Miles Rutherford is up at thebottomlineshow.com. It really is an urgent call to speak out in a collapsing culture, and we're privileged to recommend it and have this time with Pastor Miles today here on the program. You know, it's interesting. You have a chapter in the book that uh, that focuses on an aspect of evangelism, I think, that uh, that a lot of us overlook. We look at John 3.16. We say, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. We look at John 3.17. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that, that the world might be safe through him. And then we just kind of blissfully go right past verses 18, 19, 20, and 21. Talk about (laughs) why it's important for us to understand that whole, hey, but wait a minute, you know, we're proclaiming the good news, but people are loving darkness more than light. Talk about why it's important for us to to be able to identify that too, rather than just kind of leave people stuck in darkness. Yeah, John 3.19 says, "And, and this is the condemnation, that men loved darkness. First of all, that word condemnation is not condemning from God. The word actually means choice. And this was the choice that men loved. It does not say they chose darkness. They actually loved it. They loved Hmm. the darkness. There's two two worlds. There's one world here, but there's two kingdoms on this earth, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And you, you can interchange those words. The word light simply means knowledge. And the darkness means ignorance. When it says they chose to love darkness, it simply means it's not ignorance, but they chose to willingly ignore the truth. Men chose darkness. And this is what I have found out. And that one generation, when we, when we, when we, when we speak about darkness, when we choose darkness, the next generation, it's not about a choice. They will just sit in darkness. And Mm. so right now, that's another reason why when people speak, we need to be thinking about, we're one generation away. We are one generation away from a godless society. That is statistically proven. In 1945, 76% of people went to church, loved God with their families. In 2021, 76% of the people abandoned church. They don't go to church or they find it very, uh, non-essential. That means if you do the sliding scale of that in 26 years, we will have a godless society. That's what we see in Israel. They have 90 plus percent. One of my friend that's there, he said, please pray for us. This is very godless over here. You would never believe that this is a God nation. And I have another friend in Manchester, England. He said, Miles, only 2.8% 
of this country, of this city, is actually serving the Lord. They don't even know what Jesus or Bible is. Mm. And America is not far behind that. That's why we've got to raise our voice, because there is a people sitting in darkness. If you take the LGBTQ, that is something that came. The source of that is, tip, is most, of the, most of the time is trauma. People have gone through trauma or something, molestation at a young age. And now, you know, we, we help them all the time. We, we see a lot of people delivered from that, from that spirit. Um, but if you look at it now, this trauma that was happened years ago is now being taught in schools. In other words, again, a people that spoke and, and lived in darkness or, or, and, and enjoyed darkness, the next generation sits in something they don't even understand. They're completely confused because a generation prior to them just, you know, went to church and had a good time and stuck them in Sunday school and, and threw a couple of movies on the VCR and said, I hope you have a good time. Let us go shout and get our blessings. And I'm not against God blessing. I think that's a wonderful thing. But right now we need to be focused not on our generation. I'm 48, but we need to be focusing on our children's children. They are going to eat the fruit of our strength or the fruit of our silence. So we've got to speak up right now. Boy, I can't think of a more powerful benediction from an exhortation all at the same time from Pastor Miles Rutherford uh, than we just heard today here on The Bottom Line Show. The book is called Raise Your Voice. It's an urgent call to speak out in a collapsing culture. And as you heard Pastor Miles say, this is not a book for the masses. It's not a church growth book. It is a book for the remnant. And quite frankly, as we see how crazy the world has gotten in the uh, recent days and over the past few years in particular, it's time for the voice of the remnant, the church of God. God to speak up and speak out. And uh, maybe it'll have the same resonance as your dad's voice, Miles. I mean, that, that, what a fun memory that is for you to think about him being that guy on the loudspeaker. But it sounds like that's what God's calling all of us to do in these final days, isn't it? Amen. Lift up your voice as a trumpet. Cry aloud. And it says, tell the people of their transgressions. Amen. This is about getting people back to God. This is what this is all about. I'm not about sales. This is about souls right now to me. Mm, that's powerful, and it's personal, too. Uh, Pastor Miles Rutherford, the book is called Raise Your Voice, an urgent call to speak out in a collapsing culture. We've got it linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. Pastor Miles, thank you for the work on this book, and thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line Show. Thank you for having me. I'm pretty honored. Thank you so much. Well, what a great resource and what an important uh, topic of conversation today. Pastor Miles Rutherford has been my guest we are giving away copies of his brand new book called Raise Your Voice, an urgent call to speak out in a collapsing culture. We have not one, not two, but three copies of this book to give away, and I'd love to place one in your hands today. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the book by Pastor Miles Rutherford is called Raise Your Voice, an urgent call to speak out in a collapsing culture. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And we've got not one, not two, but three copies of this book we're giving away. Hey, on the other side of this break, I want to get into something, do a little analysis, balance, and clarity here. Speaking of the collapsing culture that we're in, uh, to take a look at something that um, it, it's kind of a, a hobby, if you will, of Lisa and mine, and uh, something that I we just kind of found fascinating, especially when you consider that we sense that we're getting closer to being at home with the Lord and spending, you know, eternity with him in, you know, streets of gold and everybody, my father's house, there are many mansions, Jesus tells us. The whole concept of living in a big, expansive home 
and how oftentimes when you look at these structures and then you take into consideration who's building them or rebuilding them, tearing them down or whatever, um, lessons we can learn about some of the distress signals people send when they're building these huge structures and why it's important for us to pay attention to it. Uh, the mansion formerly owned by Robin Williams, the comedian, and his wife, uh, second wife, Marsha, just went on the block. It's a, uh, a massive structure that was originally built in 1926, and it was restored by Robin and his wife before they divorced in 2010. And now they're selling it. It's worth 25 million bucks. I want to get into some of the particulars, if you will. As they say in the, uh, in the remodeling world, we're going to tear this story down to the studs and build it back up again, because I think there's a spiritual lesson for all of us to learn. Of course, Robin Williams uh, battled depression most of his life, uh, wound up uh, taking his life at the age of 63 back in 2014. Uh, so many different stories uh, that we could glean from this. I want to take a look at it on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. My thanks again to pastor and author Miles Rutherford for joining me today here on the program. His book, Raise Your Voice, is up at thebottomlineshow.com, an urgent call to speak out in a collapsing culture. We have not one, not two, but three copies of his book to give away right now and would love to get you in on this. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. I want to do an analysis, balance, and clarity segment here. Uh, Lisa and I, uh, since we've been married, have been uh, in a position where we wound up, you know, we joined together as a family on December 31st, 2019. I was renting. She had a home at the time. And so we, uh, we went ahead and you know, combined our family systems and wound up selling that home and buying another one. And uh, we just, it, it's the whole remodeling, redecorating, you know, it was, it was kind of a trip. It was really interesting for us. We I mean, sound a little personal stuff here because uh, the home that we did wind up purchasing was, it was a little bit further away than we were typically accustomed to living, but it was a brand new house. And so we had to get new furniture and stuff. It, it was really wild. And I know for me personally, I've always been the kind of person who just wanted to, you know, I needed a place to live. You know, the bed's comfortable. The sheets are clean. Can I shower? Can I make a meal? You know, that I really didn't look at the design. And over the course of doing this program, though, I've learned a lot from people who get into the decoration part and say, hey, wait a minute. 
don't pass by the colors and the fabrics and and the design you know accessories that go into uh, the things that you're talking about here because read through the Old Testament look at how you know the 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 tabernacles were built and all the specific you know the hammered gold and all the the the, the millinery work that you know when the masonry work I mean it's, it's amazing to see all these things it's like why do we have to read all this stuff what why are how many cubits of this and how many baths of that but it's really important to God's economy and over time I've really learned to kind of make peace with that part of my life that I really just it wasn't that I didn't care I just didn't pay attention to it I was that go along kid you know dad would say hey we're moving great that's fine didn't matter to me what are we having for dinner I don't care it's on the table let's eat it I mean that that was basically my lot and my wife on the other hand has a really good sense of design and style and I know most every husband would say that but trust me (laughs) We've watched enough remodeling, design, chip and joint against type of television over the past four years to where I've, I'm starting to get the rhythm of it. Now it's kind of like jazz music for me. Um, maybe that is that way for you. I, it's not something that comes naturally to me, but every now and again, I can, you know, hit the right note. Um, but it, it's interesting how the right design can make a room really feel right. Not too big, not too small. But I think about, you know, the way God is building this new heaven, new earth. I look at the way he created the ones that we have ruined, you know, we as people because of sin. And there's such beauty, you know, in nature. And, and I just think of some of the ways that we've been able to uh, give glory to God by the things that are created. All of which to say, when I saw this story on Fox News a couple of days ago, uh, Robin Williams, San Francisco home, selling for $25 million. I was drawn to it. Not that I obviously can't afford 25 million bucks. And I don't need a 17,000 square foot castle either. I mean, I really honestly don't. But I, I was really kind of taken with it for a couple of different reasons. First of all, it's historic. I mean, this is a, uh, a piece of property that was originally built in 1926. And uh, it's got historic ties to the Bay Area. Um, it was originally built, um, ironically, um, for the the type who is the original owner i'm looking here it's it's kind of there's a it has views of the pacific it has views of the golden gate bridge it's completely private it's walled up the uh, house itself has ten thousand, just a heron or eleven thousand square feet the property is seventeen thousand square feet it's just it's a it's a massive structure um the idea that that it has a media room a private library a whiskey room with double french doors that open to into a garden Eat-in kitchen, butler's pantry. And I actually know what a butler's pantry is now. Kind of cool. Um, Upstairs, three stories. Upstairs, four additional bedrooms with two full baths, a home office. uh, Rounds out the upper level. The garden level, the main floor, has a guest apartment with its own entrance, a full fitness center with its own bathroom and sauna, a wine cellar, pantry and storage closets, et cetera, et cetera. It just goes on from there. There are some pictures here in the article. It's got a four-car garage. Um... This is a, um, it's an interesting uh, mix because this is a guy, of course, Robin Williams, who, you know, the, the legendary comedian who had been married once before in 1978. He was married to a woman called Valerie Velarde. Uh, they had a son named Zach and they were married in 1978. They divorced in 1988. But in 1989, he met uh, Marcia, the second of his three wives, they were divorced in 2010, and then in 2011, he tied the knot one more time uh, with a woman by the name of Susan Schneider. 
and they were married in 2011. By the time 2014 rolled around, though, the, his depression had gotten so bad that uh, Robin Williams wound up taking his life at the age of 63. Now, it's interesting because uh, Marsha, a uh, former wife of uh, Robin Williams, Marsha Garces Williams, uh, wants to downsize, wants to get rid of the house. Apparently, after he passed away, his kids, or the kids they had together, uh, lived there uh, in a three-story estate, six bedrooms, eight bathrooms. It's called the Seacliff's Crown Jewel. Uh, Marsha Williams wants to downsize with her children. The children have since moved out of the house. They basically, the listing agent says that Marsha and Robin took the house down to studs and rebuilt it in the early 90s. They updated all the major systems, but they preserved, they went to great lengths to preserve the rare and valuable building materials that were used in 1926 when this home was built. And quite frankly, they're just not available in the construction of modern homes, so they put a ton of money into this thing. I don't know. It doesn't say how much they paid for it when they bought it. It doesn't say how much they spent on the renovation. But all of uh, suffice it to say, this is a, uh, uh, it's the kind of, um, well, it's the kind of uh, uh, situation that somebody who has that kind of money and can afford to pay the property taxes on it and stuff like that, they would definitely want it. So why do I bring this up? You know, it, it's, it's kind of fun to look at these, uh, these YouTube videos of these guys who go through and, hey, take a look at this home. This is the most expensive home in Beverly Hills. And here's what $20 million gets you in Dubai. And I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating to see. But I have some observations about why this home was so important for Robin Williams to build and why we as Christians, maybe just maybe, might want to entertain the idea of having a home this large. Now, this is not, to, I mean, six bedrooms, eight baths, and 10,000 square feet. Not everybody needs that kind of living space. But on the other side of this break, I want to talk about why we're drawn to this. And it's not just, oh, wow, he had so much money and then he took his life. I think there's a, a deeper reason. And we'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else? Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of, it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Welcome back to this Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and no, we are not giving away uh, raffle tickets or anything like that for this Robin Williams estate in San Francisco. But I think as Christians, though, there's a part of us that we could learn something from why this home is important, not only to him, but to them. 
and eventually to the person who buys it. Uh, Robin Williams had celebrity. He was one of the funniest men who ever walked the face of the earth, and at least in our generation. And at the age of 63, back in 2014, he wound up committing suicide. Uh, the depression that he was under was just too much for him. But that's not before he and his second wife, uh, Marcia Garces uh, Williams, wound up buying this home that was built in 1926, uh, expanding it a little bit, trying to, I mean, literally tearing it down and building it back up. If you look at the pictures that are in the article from foxnews.com, you'll be amazed at how old this place looks. They wanted to keep the same feel. Um, it, it's called the Seacliffs Crown Jewel, of where it is, it's got a view of the Pacific and also the Golden Gate Bridge uh, from right outside the uh, area, which I often wonder, you know, knowing how many people get despair and despondent around the Golden Gate Bridge, I often wondered if him staring at that was a deterrent when he got in his lowest days. I don't know that Robin Williams was a man of faith at all. Um, I, I hope would hope that he made peace with God, but I don't know how you do that, you know, when you take your own life. That's just a, a reality. But the idea that a home like this would be built with 11,000 square feet of living space and 17,000 square foot lot, beautiful view, uh, selling it for $25 million. And the fact that Robin and his wife and their children felt this compulsion to take this older home that had history, that was probably built better than a lot of the homes these days are. I'm sorry to say that's probably accurate. But then um, why would you need that much space and that much of a home? Well, think about it. I think heart's desire for people who accomplish and accumulate, you know, wealth and that type of stuff, heart's desire is to have the nicest, to have the biggest, to not have anyone tell you you can't build something, you know, that's really substantial like that. But hardwired into each of us is that desire to dwell with the Lord in his temple and in his home, in his mansion. And that's a heart's cry of people, whether you're a Christian or not. Every time I see somebody building a bigger house, and I saw Jeff Bezos the other day announcing he's moving from Seattle down to Miami, and they're going to build some huge complex, and Jay-Z and Beyonce bought some $200 million house in Malibu. And we look at the excess, but if I look at the spiritual component just right, something tells me without even realizing that these people are saying, we want to be in heaven. We want to, we, that, that's a heart's desire of ours. Well, that's a heart's desire of anybody. The question isn't so much what's your desire, it's what steps are you taking to actually make that journey? And to see a guy like Robin Williams who lived for that kind of entertainment was so funny and so off the cuff, one of the most gifted comedians of our generation who was really masking a lot of pain and a lot of anguish. I have to wonder how you preach the gospel to somebody who is so living in their own head. We're having a conversation the other day with a, a, a member of our extended family who was facing a tough situation and he kept saying I know God's telling me to do this and I'm like no he's really not I mean <laughs> yeah I don't know I don't know what you're listening to but that's not what he's saying at least what we're seeing it's so important to hear the voice of God and yet you wonder why is it that so many people can't the conduit for people hearing the voice of God in our lifetime is us Go into all the world, Jesus told his disciples 2,000 plus years ago. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples of every nation. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptize those who believe it in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. It's so important that we live lives where people can hear our faith with our actions. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount? I get a, a little email blast every 
a day, seven days a week from Dennis Wilson, Wilson Financial. There's a small group of us that's kind of like online Bible study where Dennis just basically sends it out. And, and some of the verses are very familiar and some of them, you know, it depends on where he is in his study. And the other day he sent out Matthew 5, verse 14 and 15 and 16, where Jesus is saying, you know, we don't, somebody who has a light doesn't put it under a basket. You know, we put that light on the hill for everyone to see. And then Jesus says to his followers, let your light so shine before others that the others would see the good things that you're doing, but that they wouldn't see you, but they would see God in you. When you walk into a home, sometimes the way it's decorated, you may not realize it, but that decoration is doing things to your eye. It's bringing your eye upward. It's helping you to see around certain things. There are certain types of furniture and furnishings that are designed to bring your eye to a certain place and then you don't see it anymore, whatever, with the window covering or it's, it's fascinating the way that all works. But the beautiful thing about the gospel is when we preach it, people will respond to it and they won't respond to us. They'll respond to the Holy spirit. They won't respond to what you did. They'll respond to what God did for you through Jesus Christ on the cross. And that becomes then the new focus, the new direction of your life and theirs. Don't mistake the fact that somebody like Robin Williams building a $25 million mansion where he and his then wife and their kids were living. Don't miss for a minute the fact that that had not so much to do with I've got a lot of money and my accountant told me I need a write-off so I'm going to build this big old house as it did him saying, I have this desire and I don't know where it came from, but I want to live in this mansion. I want to live in this kind of security. I want this to be a place where my family would dwell. And we can answer that and say, you're right. Everyone has that God-shaped hole in their heart. And they're trying to fill every aspect of their lives with goodness and beauty and in some cases, opulence and magnificence. But it all has to start with the right relationship with Jesus Christ as our pathway into heaven. Don't ever forget that good news. That's the bottom line.